It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I invite some of the friendliest and most hardworking writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 29th of January and you are joining me on a very overcast day. Uh, it's it's miserable outside, man. Cannot wait for the for the winter to pass, for the spring to come through. And uh, I, I moved house before Christmas and one of the things I'm very excited for is that my house, my new house, backs onto a forest which at the minute is pretty much laid bare of its leaves and anything else. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing that come into into bloom when the rest of the flowers come up in, I don't know, a month or two. So that's going to be quite exciting. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background about what I've been doing my week. So I started a new series yesterday, writing urban fantasy in the series, which I mentioned last week with Martha Carr. Um, I am about, I think, 7,000, 8,000 words into that. And really enjoying getting cracking into not only a new a new series but a new genre as well. I've I've read a lot of urban fantasy over the years. I've uh, I've I've dived into sort of quite a few different authors along the way, and it was something that I'd never put much thought into writing. But when opportunities come along, just got to grab them and say yes. And that's actually one of the themes that you'll find from today's interview um, with my guest Katie Forrest. Um, I've been batching episodes for the podcast, so. I've spoken to a lot of authors over the last few days, man, and and it is inspiring and it is motivating and there are some incredible people out there doing some amazing things. And uh, I I'm just want to say that I'm thankful to everyone that listens to this podcast, anyone that supports this podcast, because it gives me the chance to speak to them firsthand, pick their brains, and obviously I share all that with you guys. And you've got some really interesting guests coming up. I've got people like Michael David Wilson from This Is Horror. I've got people like Craig Faulkner, who's a sci-fi writer. I've got Meg Cowley. I've got Steph Green from New Zealand. I've got a, a lot of people that will be uh, coming into your feed over the next few weeks. So keep an ear out for those. It's going to get exciting. Um, and the one other thing that I've been doing, which is super exciting and actually is a little bit of a, um, not an entire removal from my writing side of things, is myself and a, a handful of the Hawk and Cleaver guys are in the process of discussing and laying the foundations for basically a bit of fun, but what is going to be released as a another new podcast, which I'm not going to say too much on the specifics because we don't have them, uh, but I can say as much as it will centre around the darker side of D&D. Um, and it'll basically be a chance for us to hang out, share that experience with other people and see if we can find uh, another audience for that as well. So yeah, adding another podcast to the roster um, might be a bad idea. Sounds like fun. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'll keep you updated. Uh, but as mentioned before, today's guest is Katie Forrest, who is someone that I came across uh, about a year ago. I is in a, uh, She's among the ranks of the individuals that I met at the 20 Books to 50K London conference uh, beyond last year now. So that was 2018. Um, saw her again in Edinburgh last year. I keep up to date with uh, her work. And um, ashamedly, despite the fact we live probably about an hour or so from each other we we haven't really met up too much in person so it was nice to get a chance to talk to her on the show and she has just released a new book aimed at time management for writers 
grab a copy before you even listen to this interview and you'll get the most <laughs> that you can out of it. Um, but yeah, time management for writers and it, we we go into a lot of the specifics in this interview about what it means to manage your time, good methods to do it, ways to navigate that kind of conversation with significant others if you're struggling to um, try and convince your partner that you need that 20 minutes, half an hour a week to write or a day to write. Um, and also go a bit into the benefits of saying yes to things and how you can overcome fear and twist fear into your benefit just by saying yes and doing the things that scare you. There's there's a lot of stuff that we dive into this. Um, Katie's Katie's very on it. She she's she's a busy woman. She manages her time well and she gets shit done. And I think there's a lot of stuff in this interview that you can pull out and uh, make use of. So enjoy that in just a second. But before I get there. I just want to say uh, we had no new patrons this week, but for anyone who is interested in supporting the show, getting a load of extra benefits, including asking our guests questions, getting the episodes early, joining the private Slack group, all you have to do is head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And uh, yeah, you can just pledge your support for as little as $1 a month and that supports the show, keeps it going and uh, it gives you a crap load of bonuses as well. So who can lose in that situation? Okay, so without any further ado, we're going to go straight into the interview with the one, the only, Katie Forrest. Katie Forrest is a busy wife and special needs parent doing her best to juggle this with her work. She runs a boutique law firm, writes cozy mystery under a pen name, and is obsessed with cacti. She loves solo traveling, is a complete time management geek, and is the author of the new nonfiction book, Time Management for Writers. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hi. I love that intro. <laughs> I know. Well, most of it was written by you, so that works out quite well because uh, I'm always fearful of getting getting things wrong when I'm introducing people because people do so much stuff now. Um, and yes. that kind of uh, is noted at in your new book, which I have been reading. I'm working my way through at the minute, Time Management for Writers. Um, and you have a fantastic section in there that we might as well just jump straight into, which caught my eye. Which So tell us a little bit about the book and then I'll ask you the question. Okay, so the book came about because in 2018, I wrote, I want to say 13 books, but cozy mystery books are short. So if there's any kind of epic fantasy people listening, it's not that kind of book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So 13 fairly short books, which I'm not downplaying at all, it's still an achievement. And so a lot of people started asking me how I had done that. So I've always been a time management geek, absolutely obsessed with tracking my time and trying to be more productive um but a lot of the books out there I think are for corporate executives and business life not really creatives so I thought I'd try and put a spin on it for creatives like me and you and it seems to be doing pretty well at the minute I mean like I say I I'm about 20-25% through at the minute um I'm I'm really enjoying it it's a lot of useful lessons that are framed in a way that does hit the creatives more and it I I mean, I'd go as far as to say it's not strictly for writers, it is for creatives as a whole, but obviously you, you angle that towards um, the, the stuff that you know. One thing that I personally find, I don't know if you're attested with this as well, um, is the fact that creative work has a lot of mental expenditure that a lot of people don't see. It's, it's, very, it's all well and good being, oh, you, you work for yourself full time, it must be easy writing for yourself, but um, I know that personally I can probably get about maybe three hours of solid creative work before I feel myself burned out. But uh, yeah. how, how do you personally cope with that kind of creative expenditure alongside the, the, the law firm and the, the stuff that you run alongside it? 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and it is quite difficult explaining that to people who aren't creatives. Um, so for me, it's all about getting the words done first. So getting up in the morning, and I think you do similar. I know you you kind of like your early mornings as well. Yes. Um, getting up and getting the words done. So like we're speaking at just before 10 o'clock in the morning and I've already done my words this morning. Um, I just... <sighs> I can't come to it later in the day when I've already given all of my emotional energy to everybody else in my life. I've got a husband and a daughter and a team at work and clients at work. And yeah, if I try to get the writing done in the evening, it's just not happening. Absolutely. And how did you first get into that habit of beginning the creative work in the morning? What did that look like for you to start with? I think it was just the time slot that made sense. Um, so I could kind of leave the house and go and work in a coffee shop for a couple of hours and then still be at the office for nine. Um, and I've always known that really, you're not going to get the best of me in the evening for (laughs) anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I've got a very strict 10 o'clock bedtime. My body shuts down at 10 o'clock. So I was never going to be burning the candle at that end. Mm. And was it a process of, I know that you write in your book about, um, almost time auditing and trying to work out the things that you need to fit in in each day. Was that how your process initially looked? Cause I know that speaking for myself, I, I just jumped straight into the idea of, all right, let's just try early. So I didn't, I didn't do a proper audit. I just went, oh, okay, five o'clock, just give it a go, go and see what happens. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I did the audit either. I've always been kind of obsessed with the idea of getting up early. And I think I'm quite annoyed that we need sleep. Like it just seems like <laughs> such a waste of time. Um, yes. And I, and I say that knowing it's valuable and, and I really do need my sleep every night, but I'm also kind of annoyed that I do. So <laughs> I've always wanted to wake up earlier and it's been a bit of a to and fro battle really. So that, yeah, that was my first thought. What was it that stopped you getting up early in the morning? Laziness. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, the, the bed's so warm and the house is so cold and it's dark and mm. it's, yeah, it's just much better to stay in bed if you can <laughs> yeah fair enough i uh i've now made my bedroom basically a place that i almost shun so i literally, <laughs> really? my, my bedroom is the place where i sleep and then i'm out of there like I've, I've not even done it consciously i've just realized it's a thing that i do where i wake up i pretty much get out of bed and i get on my breakfast and do whatever yeah then i don't really go back to my bed until i read for 15 20 minutes and then go to sleep i don't the space I don't use for anything else. I don't have a TV in there. I have nothing. I've just kind of made it this locker room of of sleep that I just disappear yeah. into at night. Um, I'm exactly the same, actually. Yeah, I've never allowed a TV in the bedroom. Yeah. yeah. So what are the key points um, from your perspective that people might want to know about managing their time if they want to become a creative of some kind? Obviously, people have full-time jobs. You mentioned it yourself yeah. in your book. Um, and the point that I was going to get to earlier was there's a fantastic section that you write, which is about three or four pages long, which I don't know if you know which bit I'm talking about, which is essentially uh, an inner monologue of all of the ways that you need to be perfect throughout the day. I don't know if yeah. you want to just explain that a little bit and then why that was included in the book and how people can kind of get past that. Yeah, um, I know exactly the section you're talking about. And a couple of people have kind of fed back and said, oh, but that section's too long. And I'll say, that's the point. (laughs) Because it is all of the expectations that we're moving through all day, Um, starting with, you know, the demands on other people. Like, is my breakfast ready? Where are my socks? Like, is my car clean? You know, who's doing this? Who's doing that? And it just follows us all through the day, how we are expected to do 
everything and and make it look easy I think that's the problem as well like we're not encouraged to talk about I'm struggling with this or I'm doing too much we're just encouraged to look on Pinterest and make homemade (laughs) birthday cakes as well (laughs) like there's always something else that we should be adding on to it and I I think a lot of people have the idea that time management is about doing more and that can scare people and actually that's not it it's it's about making sure that you are doing what you should be with your time, not doing everything. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that I know that you touched on there is, is taking that that step back and just being able to view everything you're doing as a whole. Because I know that I personally struggle a lot with getting drawn into what I think I should be doing. But when yeah. you actually take a step back and try and review whether or not that's going to be important or help you further along with what you need to do, or yeah. it, it, it often is the case that that's not what you need to do and it could be something that, you could pass on to someone else if you've got staff or um, something that you can literally just drop entirely and come back to. Um, I know that my, I spoke uh, about in a previous episode on my 2020 resolutions that one of mine is just to basically strip bare all the stuff I'm doing and focus on the core stuff. And for me, obviously, and for most, well, all writers, that's, that's the writing. Um, how, how do you prioritize and make sure that you get that time to yourself to be creative? Um, obviously getting up in the morning is one of them, but do you have any additional tips for people that maybe do succumb to their laziness gene <laughs> and, and can't <laughs> seem to overcome that first hurdle? Cause some people yeah. are just night people. Yeah, absolutely. Although not as many as people think. So there's a lot of people telling themselves they're night owls. And actually, if you look at the science, the statistics Mm -hmm. don't add up. Um, So I always suggest if you want to know kind of your natural body clock, go back to childhood and think about what time you were waking up naturally. Um, And a lot of people will find that it was mornings, you know, before like teenage hormones kicked in and nobody was getting out of bed. So in terms of carving out that time, um, so the first step is to understand what your priority is, because otherwise you just won't know what to do with the time when you get it. Um, And then I think another part of it is really about setting boundaries and having some difficult conversations with the people in your life. So it might be sitting down with your spouse or whoever you're co-parenting with and saying, I need you to take on half of this responsibility because there are two of us in this relationship. And it could be checking what you're doing at work and making sure that actually you're not just allowing your boss to pile on everything they want you to do, but you're setting reasonable limits, taking your lunch break. You know, the number of people who are entitled to a lunch break, and that could be 45 minutes of writing or brainstorming or editing. And actually they're just sat at their desk working. Um, and very often I'm an employer I've got a team of people I don't expect people to do that Um, a lot of employers out there are not expecting that but people are doing it so I think it's about having those tough conversations around what time you can carve out yeah I think people from my own experience I know that I've got um, a friend at the minute that I'm speaking to a lot about this because she works in quite a high position and she works mm-hmm. right through lunchtime, early mornings, yeah. everything else. And I know that one of the things I found from when I was working the full-time job, I was a marketing manager and I would do come in early and I would eat, go through lunch and I would come out late. And um, what I found amazing was when I left that job, there wasn't a part of me that didn't regret the time that I could have spent spending more time with like my son, having those lunch breaks, taking that rest because at the end of the day, it's a job and the minute you're gone, they forget you as, as brute as that sounds. Uh, so you really do need to find a way to prioritize yourself and ensure that you're doing the things for you. And one thing that um, 
I have heard a lot as well is that a lot of people are very good at getting themselves ready and giving a hundred percent to the job. And then when they get home, they just let everything else go. And it's like, well, at what point are you going to prioritize yourself and the things that you want to do? Because it is, it is your life. Um, and that's just a difficult thing to, to navigate. Yeah, it is. Um, and if what you've just said is resonating with anybody, I'd really suggest that they read the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Um, and in particular, the difference, and I always forget the, the labels for people. Um, but it's the difference between an obliger and an upholder. Yeah. Um, so in particular, like I won't go into it now, it's her story to tell, but <laughs> if that would help anybody who's kind of dealing with that situation. Definitely. Definitely. How did the conversations look for you when you were um, navigating that with your husband? Was he quite uh, open to obviously you carving out that time? Was it a bit more difficult for you? How, how, how was it for you? He's super supportive. So I'm really, really lucky. And I've had these like, I've always done at least two things for work. Um, I think I've got this real fear of like eggs in one basket. Mm. So I've always kind of had a job or had a business and I've been self-employed since I was 21. So, so for most of my life, I've had a business, but also had another business. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's quite used to me coming up with, well, this is what I'm going to do now. And, and he just kind of rolls with it. So I'm very, very lucky in that sense. Mm. What would you advise for people that maybe their partners aren't so supportive and they've got to try and convince them in some way? Um, So I think quite often, if you're the person in the house who is doing everything, it can become invisible to the person who isn't doing it. Um, So some of these things will sound really petty. Um, First, sit down and try and talk about it. But if the person you're dealing with isn't open to that, then I'm going to suggest you do get petty. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) you've just got to. Um, So I would suggest make a list of everything that you do and actually send it to them. So, you know, like I would be sending messages saying, I've just done laundry. I've just washed the pots. I've just done this. Um, And send that to them until they start to notice what you're doing. And if that doesn't work, the next level is you need to go on strike. So (laughs) you need to be only washing your own clothes and they're going to realise at some point that that is not a magic process. Um, (laughs) And hopefully it won't get to that stage. But I think you've just got to be a bit louder about Mm. what you're doing and Mm. hopefully they will take notice at some point. Yeah, I was uh, inaccurate with um, what I said earlier about my my just trying to get up in the morning. You've just reminded me why I started getting up early in the mornings now. And it was literally because... I worked full time. Um, I was with my ex-partner at the time and uh, I was writing in the evening because obviously that was the time that I thought I had until yeah. she came up to me and said, well, this is affecting our relationship. We're not, we're not really spending time together. So yeah. I then purposefully then made my mornings the writing time so that I could free up that evening time. And that was kind of like how I started squeezing that in because she never got up early. So the morning was, was, <laughs> was mine to have, but yeah. 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 It's, it's not easy. Like it's, it's still not easy every day for me to get up early, but you know, when you're the first one up and the house is quiet, it's kind Mm. of magical. Once you've got through that initial pain of getting up and you've got your coffee on or whatever is, it's the best time of the day. And it gets easier. The more, the more you do it, the more you get into that habit, the first, oh, I don't know, probably about seven to 10 days are painful. Um, And you can work yourself back in increments, but once you get into the habit and the routine of it, it just becomes second nature and, and, I get to a point now where on weekends I'm still getting up early because yeah. that's just, and it's better for your body clock. Again, if you, because yes. obviously you've looked into the science of it all as well. Um, if you can actually keep that, that sleep routine, then it just makes every morning easier to get up and you find yeah. that you don't actually need lines. 
Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're building the habit to start with, if you're doing early mornings five days a week and then Saturday and Sunday you're lying in, mm. you're going to take so much longer for that habit to stick. So, yes. Yeah. Question for you from your book, uh, something that grabbed my attention on a couple of uh, occasions. Yeah. Why Tiny House Nation? Oh, it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of it before. Oh, have you watched it now? I haven't, no. But it's on my list of things. your homework. It's okay. just <laughs> amazing. And I would never, ever live in one, but oh, it's just absolutely amazing watching them build them. And like on one episode, they fit a grand piano into a tiny house because it was for this guy who was a, a musician. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. So it's basically squeezing a lot of stuff into a tiny house. No, not a lot of stuff, just the right, the right stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice metaphor for, for time management. It sure is, isn't it? Yeah, maybe there's <laughs> yeah. a parallel there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay, uh, so talk to me a little bit about your fiction. Um, you say you yeah. write Cozy Mystery under a pen name. Obviously, we won't uh, disclose your identity. Thank how you. How do you physically manage your time between, obviously, you've written time management. Was that something that you were writing alongside the fiction, or do you find that you have to sort of go one project at a time? I wrote so I wrote the nonfiction alongside a mystery book um, and I managed that quite well. I don't think I would ever try to write two fiction books at the same time, but it was actually That's what I'm quite about to dive into. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually quite a nice switch to do um, part of the day on nonfiction and then just completely switch um, mm. and do the fiction. Okay. And what does your process look like when you're planning a book? How do you how do you take that from the initial seed into the, the final published article? So I'll go to a coffee shop um, and just kind of start writing um, ideas. Um, because they're cosy mysteries, somebody's going to die in each one. So typically I want to have an idea of who gets killed, how they get killed, what the motive is, um, who the suspects are, um, clues, and then the actual killer. Um, so that's maybe like four pages of notes, just kind of trying to get an overview. and then. Um, I plan out chapter by chapter, maybe two or three sentences per chapter. Um, and then typically it takes me between a month and six weeks to write the book. Good old talk. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's um it's a process that has changed several times as my routine has changed. So at one point I was doing 5,000 words a day um, and now I'm doing 2,000 words a day just because work commitments and things have changed. So, it, I, and this is one of the points I make in the book, you're never ever going to find the perfect routine and think, woohoo, that's me done for life. You know, like, yeah. it's always changing. That would be the dream though, to actually find one thing you could stick with. But then at the same time, that yeah. might get boring. I, I think it would get boring. I quite like the change, mm. the challenge of, oh, how am I going to fit this back together? <laughs> if you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Yeah. And is it always fiction first? Then, obviously, you run your, your law boutique as well, which most for most people, I think that would just take up their entire life as it is without obviously fitting the sun top. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's always fiction first for you. 
Yes, ideally. Yeah, it, it doesn't always work that way in practice. And I mean, last year in particular, I'd got one case that was just absolutely enormous. It had taken over like two years of my life and then we were getting ready for trial. Um, and I just kind of said for three months, I'm not writing anything. I'm not even trying to because this case needs to be my attention. And and it really was. I was working until kind of two o'clock in the morning every day. And then I was waking up through the night with ideas and back at it at like six in the morning um which was insane um but you talk about creative energy I couldn't do that with writing um but because the law stuff is much more kind of logical um I I can do that that's fine so yeah it's fiction first is the ideal but it doesn't always work yeah and is that your goal for for greater life to to go with the fiction are you happy constantly to keep all those eggs in different baskets no I I think it is just something in my character where I need two things going on so Mm. I I don't ever see that I would step away from the law firm um you know me and my husband have built it up from scratch and it really is our baby um just as the books are so yeah I I can't see a future where that isn't in my life and you've added speaking engagements as well. I've noticed that you you did a, a talk at 20 Books Edinburgh last year. Yeah. Uh, one upcoming at the Indie Fire conference. Yes, I um, have, yeah. How did, how did that transition go into uh, from into the speaking side of things? I just tried to say yes to things that scare me. Um, <laughs> so like when you invited me today, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> Not that scary. I'm scared. <laughs> You're terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the 20 books talk came about because Craig Martell reached out, (coughs) sorry, um, Craig Martell reached out and asked me if I would be interested. And I said, yes, because that's my default. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I say yes to things. Yeah. And how do you prepare for, for giving talks? Um, I, I don't really, um, I, I think it's better if it's flowing naturally um like you know like podcasts and things some people will send across questions and if I know they've got specific questions I'll I'll plan to answer those but otherwise I think it's it's just kind of going to happen naturally yeah I definitely for for these um podcasts this podcast I tend to have about four or five main points I want to address and then I think I agree it's much I, I prefer the flow of conversation where it's just backwards and forwards rather than trying to force it one yeah. way or the other and you find out more interesting things I think when you go along that way yeah absolutely yeah definitely and I think that lets you just kind of you know particularly if you're speaking at an event you can you can watch the audience and see which points they're reacting to and where you've kind of got them and then where their eyes are glazing over a little bit so you <laughs> adapt um, as you need to <laughs> yep. so what at what point in your life did you start going into that that I will say yes to things that scare me because I think for a lot of people, that's the opposite attitude of what they're currently doing. Um, and I agree that uh, everything great is on the other side of fear. So mm-hmm. anything that scares me, anything that I feel is challenging, um, particularly my previous role as, as marketing manager, that was something I was terrified to take on, but I learned so much from it. When when did that start for you? Because like you say, you started working at self-employed when you were 21, which yeah. also for people that that is a terrifying idea of not having that security around you. So where did that all spring from from you? Um, I think it's probably my dad. Um, my dad was, um, was self-employed all, all of his life that I knew him. Um, he had me fairly late in life and he died, um, 10 years ago. Um, but I always knew him as this guy who was going to play by his own rules and do whatever he wanted. Um, and 
I'm certainly quite like him personality wise. So I would say it's his influence. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to say yes to things. I also think I play quite small. So I, I don't know if you feel like this, but I think when you're putting yourself under that pressure to kind of say yes to things and play big, there's all the, the other half of that is that you're always kind of aware that maybe you're not quite playing big enough. Mm. Does that resonate? Or? Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> maybe always... Maybe I'm just too hard on myself. No, I think there's always a tendency to leave something in reserve. Yeah. Because you, you need that that almost safety net for you, that almost, uh, I guess, opportunity to backstep if you need to. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So just being employed by a company was just never on the cards for, for you at all? Um, no, not really. And I've, and I've, I've tried my hands at so many things. I've like, I've been an eBay power seller, which I absolutely loved. I'm, I'm obsessed. And, and to this <laughs> day, if I'm feeling stressed with life, what I will do is I'll find some stuff and list it on eBay. I find it so relaxing. <laughs> relaxing? <laughs> yeah, I just love it. Um, <laughs> My only experience with eBay was I, I found a printer in a skip that still worked and I sold it for, I think, 40 quid and it cost me £45 to send it. So <laughs> I, I did not do well. Postage. Oh, no. no. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, a lesson learned, but um, probably not yeah. the best first experience into to selling on it. <laughs> oh, dear. But what, what fuels your next project? Because... If you've you've tried a lot of things, eBay power seller, you moved on, you moved on, you moved on. Is what you're currently doing what you see yourself doing for a while, or is it something that you think is not necessarily a fad, but kind of like your current passion project that you might then just move on to something else afterwards? No, I think this is it um, because I've always wanted to write. So I was that, like most people listening, I was that kid who was, you know, sitting with no friends writing in notebooks and stuff at school. Um, So I was always writing. And then I grew up and told myself, I can't do that. It's not realistic. That's not a job option. You know, I, I come from a really working class background. You know, I was brought up on a council estate and my options when I left school were very much, you're going to work in an office or you're going to work in a shop they're like the two things that you can do um so it just got pushed out the window really but it has always been something that I've wanted to do and I think there's a lot of power in going back to your childhood and thinking what did I do as a child um in terms of understanding what your passions are and for me it was writing and how do you hone your craft um reading reading really really widely um I read cozy mystery but I love women's fiction and literary fiction um I read romance um I I read you know pretty widely I read a lot of non-fiction as well and craft books um and yeah I think I think reading is just such a such a good thing to do as a writer and you know I was reading yesterday and and twice I took my phone out and took a photograph of sentences in the novel I was reading because they were just so good <laughs> yeah yeah now I do that quite a lot and then you just email them to yourself for, for yeah, safekeeping. yeah yeah it's my inbox is full of emails from me yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what builds up half of it yeah, yeah. it is always nice though to find those passages those those lines that really really resonate with you and then to actually stop take that second and wonder why yeah absolutely yeah one thing we haven't addressed yet is (laughs) it's always fearful when you say that um (laughs) you write cozy mystery under a pen name yeah why why do you write under a pen name um because i don't want there to be because my my law firm does criminal law um and my books are 
crime books, um, you know, crime mystery books, I don't ever want there to be a suggestion from a client that have they inspired any of my books. Um, so it's to kind of give me that professional distance from mm. it, really. It's probably one of the best, better reasons I've heard for the pen name because it's always difficult <laughs> for people to juggle the different different names. Yeah, definitely. And I had a kind of short-lived experiment with a romance pen name as well towards the end of last year, 2019. Um, and so that was splitting me as three people and I felt quite schizophrenic. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, I actually let that, let that pen name go. Mm. What tips would you give to a brand new budding writer to get themselves started, get their butt in the chair and get working on their first book? Um, I would say you need to sit down and write um, and everything else pretty much is distraction. Um, so you can convince yourself so well that you need to read and you do um, and you need to research and I'm sure you do and you need to do a million other things. But ultimately, none of that matters unless you're writing words. One thing that I hear a lot from from different people within pretty much all creative spaces is the whole notion of um, you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. How how do you relate to that in terms of your writing, the people that you surround yourself with? Are they all creatives? Because obviously if you're balancing two sides of, of what you're doing, do you have like a mix of both? Yeah, I do. Um, and, I, and I think... I think the internet is great for connecting us with like-minded people because it might be that your family don't share your interest, um, but they're still valuable people. You can't get rid of them. Um, <laughs> I've tried. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but the internet and, and conferences are fabulous for connecting you. So like I've got a couple of group chats on WhatsApp with writer friends and we kind of chat all day, every day. And that's where I can really ask questions that, you know, my best friend in real life wouldn't understand. You know, if I was starting to talk to her about book funnel and things, she would <laughs> to that conversation. Um, so yeah, those, those kind of remote connections are really handy. How much of your time is spent working by yourself among the two business? Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. How much of your time is spent working just by yourself among the two businesses? Um, so just like on my own? Yeah. Um, at the moment, maybe kind of five hours a day, um, but that's going to change in about three weeks. Um, so <laughs> because life's always, always changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the moment, I'm kind of home-based part of the day and then office-based for the other part of the day. Um, and... Um, a member of staff has just handed her notice in so I will have to be full-time office based to kind of make up numbers when she leaves um, so then um, it will more be the morning time um, and I'll, yeah I'll try to still get like three hours a day um, but it will be pushed back earlier. And how do you fight procrastination because I find that I I'm normally quite good if I've if I've got the morning off going I can roll and for me it's a lot about momentum if I get my mornings right yeah. the rest of the day kind of goes itself but um particularly when things are busy when there's a lot of chaos going on you do find it more difficult to actually get the words down do you have any tips for fighting procrastination what what kind of things do you do to ensure that you're you're working because you're obviously you've got a lot going on so you need to make sure that you're you're rolling and um, I might I'm actually the opposite of you. So I'm better when there's a lot going on. Um, yep. The day when you give me like a perfectly free day and I can spend all day writing, like that's it's, not going to be 
day for me. <laughs> um, so I, I think sometimes having a tight space of time is quite handy in itself to avoid procrastination. You just can't if the rest of your day is blocked up, if you've got an hour to write. Like, like I say this morning, I wanted to get my words done before we spoke. So you kind of acted as my deadline today. Ah, um, you're welcome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> Um, but that kind of, yeah, that kind of deadline works really, really well for me. Mm. Um, I think other ways of beating procrastination would be to ask yourself if it really is procrastination or if there's something bigger going on. Mm. Um, and sometimes maybe you need to just back away from the computer and go and take a walk or watch a film. And I totally think watching films is, is helping your craft as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah stick in a movie or go to the cinema try and do something else um if there's something deeper going on mm. yeah i find uh since i've gone full-time last april i obviously a lot of what i'm doing is is sticking to my own deadlines i've got the whole day where i can do it and obviously that sounds like the dream for a lot of people um but i think for anyone that's listening that does have that full-time job and they are managing to get the craft down there is something that i miss from having that full-time job because like you say i had X amount of time in the morning before I started work, that was when I got my writing done. X amount of time at lunch, that was when I got my writing done. Um, and it was non-negotiable. That was just, if you didn't do that, you didn't get anything done. Yeah. Whereas now, you, there's always a temptation to procrastinate and overcoming that can be quite quite difficult. Um, and I completely agree with what you say there. Sometimes it can be, you can be a bit hard on yourself. And I know that I've gotten a bit softer on myself if I'm not performing as I will be because... If you're by yourself, you might be sick sometimes. Um, there might be something else going on in your life. And obviously, I took a hiatus with this podcast um, around Christmas because there was a lot going on in my personal life. So juggling that and, and making it work is a, it, it's a never-ending game. And like you said earlier, change change really is the only constant. So um, uh, Yeah, and, and I think it does come back to that kind of creative energy as well because there are lots of things um, kind of in the law firm that I can just keep plodding along and I can do day after day after day. It doesn't matter what's going on in my personal life. I can separate myself from it. But to try and write fiction while all of that stuff is going on, that's a completely different challenge. Mm. They can be beautiful if you get into the right headspace and you're disappearing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's the best thing in the world when it's all working okay, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to do. Absolutely. What impact do you want to have on your writing? Why Why do you write for people? Um, so Cozy Mystery is quite light. Um, it's entertaining. Um, it's not going to be kind of the heavy um, stuff that's going to make somebody consider like really heavy topics. Um, that's not what it's meant to be. It's really about escapism and my audience are dealing with a lot of stuff so they are they are the most wonderful readers in the world and they absolutely adore authors um but generally they're dealing with a lot of stuff so they're fighting illnesses they're caring for people they're going through all kinds of challenges and they are choosing cozy mystery to escape their life a little bit so it really needs to be kind of a light-hearted bubble of ent- entertainment um that they can read and enjoy and then move on and what do you see from your fiction in five years time um so hopefully just con- kind of just regular releases um new series um i don't set financial goals um i only set goals where i can actually control the outcome um so i don't do money goals um of course i've 
I want the money to come rolling in. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> but I can't control that at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, if I'm just putting out work regularly and it's been enjoyed, then that's that's going to be great. Sweet. Well, we'll jump into our Patreon questions now. So I've got some questions from some people who have sent it over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. Um, and I've actually got two today from Harley Christensen. And she asks, on time management, for those of us working from home and trying to make the most of our creative time, can you share some tips for setting and especially reinforcing boundaries with our significant others who work outside the home in non-creative professions? So we kind of touched on this, but if you've got anything else to, to add for, for Harley. Yeah, sure. Um, so what I would say is a really key area to explore is separating your day job work and your writing work, even though you're doing both from home, um, because any way you can signal to your mind, this is now writing is going to really help. Um, so that could be looking at your physical space. Um, can you work in a different room? Um, if not, can you change clothes? Can you play a piece of music to signal that this is writing time? Can you put on a hat so you have your concentration hat or your fluffy socks? Or can you change your drink? Maybe you only drink coffee when you're doing your writing. Um, but if there's something specific that you do that signals this is now writing time, that might help. And I think that is endlessly important and i think it's something that people listening might think that's a bit silly to be like oh let's put on a hat let's do whatever but um again i can attest to to that if you can find those rituals to just like you say signal to yourself that this is the time you're going to be doing it i've got um, a big pair of soundproof headphones the minute they go on that's that's it i've got reading glasses which i only use to write which i don't know if that's the right way to use them yeah um, and if i'm at home the minute i click on this lamp um <laughs> that's that's good particularly in the mornings because that lights it up and i'm like okay, yeah okay, but what are your what are your quirks to to signal that you need to get get going um so what so it was most noticeable when i was doing the fiction book and the non-fiction book um so <laughs> i would do the fiction book in the morning and i would be upstairs where i am now so sitting at my desk um writing on the computer um and drinking coffee um and then when I moved to the nonfiction, I would go downstairs, take my laptop, um, and I would be drinking soft drinks. Um, so, like, everything changed. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, another question from Harley. Tell us more about this cacti obsession. As a transplant from the Pacific Northwest, who currently lives in Arizona, among the Sahara <gasps> pricky pear, and has cactus flowers growing in her backyard, I'm certainly curious and interested. Oh, well, you are going to love this answer then, because <laughs> I started in Arizona. Um, <laughs> so, and here's, right, here's the annoying thing. The whole world now pretends they like cacti because they're in fashion. I liked cacti before. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> you be one of those guys. <laughs> I was, the OG cacti. <laughs> so, so, 2015, um, I went to Arizona for a week to uh, Jack Canfield kind of, business personal development event which was amazing um and it was my first time in Arizona and there's cacti everywhere and I just fell in love with them um and I guess they just kind of came to symbolize that trip to me so I have everything cacti I only wear cacti socks um I'm drinking out of a crazy yes. cup you can see where did you get that cup one of my readers sent it to me, so it's a little bit brave me showing you that, actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> it as a gift. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've just got everything is cactus. I've got a tattoo of one on my arm. Um, yeah. Wow, full cactus. 
<laughs> love it okay uh so that's all the patreon questions we are now gonna fire into the quick fire round if you are prepared for 10 super quick questions that i can throw yeah. at you okay okay uh answer as quickly as you can if you do need to say pass feel free but we'll we'll fly ahead i think i know the answer to the first one Tiny, tiny homes nation or tidying up with marie kondo tiny homes nation fire or water water would you rather never have to eat again and never be hungry or never have to drink again and never be thirsty? Oh, never have to eat again. How many light bulbs did you change last year? None. <laughs> what, what's your current read? Um, oh, I can't remember the title, but the last one is um, Back When We Were Grown Ups by Anne Tyler and it was amazing. Nice. What percentage are you through your current writing project? Um, 10%. What's your favourite holiday destination? America. Preferred place to cry? <laughs> um, in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Who's one person you'd love to meet? Brene Brown! Nice, good choice. Uh, and what's your best tip for new writers? Your number one tip? Write. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Um, one final bonus question. Where can everyone find out more about yourself and everything that you're working on? Sure. So my website is katieforest.com um, and that's Katie. K-A-T-I-E-F-O-R-R-E-S-T. Um, and I have a Facebook group. Um, it's quite a small, intimate group. It's called Time Management for Writers by Katie Forrest. And I share regular tips in there and answer questions. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. It's been nice thank talking to you and catching up. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by USA Today bestselling author of Paranormal Romance, Steph Green. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare. Until next time. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Jackie Johnson, the Beauty Talk Shock Jock, and I host Natch Butte, a podcast that explores the self care space while laughing, yelling, singing, and keeping things cruelty free. Oh, yeah. I gab with celebs, makeup artists, female indie brand owners, and fellow funny folks about what beauty and self-care mean to them, as well as what's in their bags. Looking good while doing good, we are voting with our wallets, we are buying cruelty-free products, and we are having a goddamn blast laughing with our pals while we do it. That's Natch Butte. This is the Natch Butte Pod! Welcome, baby. Listen to Natch Butte on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, 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 Acast recommends. recommends.